I want to preach a message to you today called Face It. Face It. Turn to someone next and say, Face It. Face It. Uh, AJ, can I borrow your iPhone for a second? You know, this summer I was on a flip phone and I missed out on a craze that was going on on all you guys' smartphones out there. And I was a little late to the game, a little late to the trends, but there was an app that came out this summer called the Face App. How many of y'all got the Face App? You downloaded the Face App, the Russians released it, they got all your photos, they got your information. Come on, how many of y'all heard about the Face App? You tried it out. Hey, let me just explain it to you. The Face App was an app you download on your smartphone and you could take a picture of your face or you could have a picture on your phone of someone else's face, which is really fun. And you could put it in the app and then you'd put this filter on it. I wanna show you this on the screen that basically shows you what you're gonna look like or what they're gonna look like when they're older, like 40, 50 years from now. You could see what you're gonna look like if you were younger or older. This is what I look like as an old guy, like in my 80s, <laughs> this is me. Yup, Kenny Rogers old Jim Carrey, something like that. Isn't technology crazy these days? Like there's this fascination. And, 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 and so I was looking at other people's faces. I was like, oh no, take the picture down. You know, I was scared. And, and people were getting scared looking at what they were gonna look like in 40, 50 years. They were like, I gotta buy skin cream. I gotta make sure I take care of my face so I don't have the wrinkles and I keep my hair. I gotta take hair products. And you know, there was this fear of facing the future. I think about how Peter Pan had that same fear of facing the future. He wanted to stay in Neverland, didn't want to grow up. And we, we read in that book how growing up is the greatest adventure of all. And there's this excitement, this faith, this, this sense of hope that the future is going to be good. But our world is, we're living in an age of anxiety, right? We're living in an age of worry and fear and people don't wanna face the future. People don't wanna face the facts. People don't wanna face their problems or face their issues. And God started speaking to me this summer um, really about how to face the things we're going through and to preach to our church about how to face the problems that are facing you. Because if you don't face it, you won't make it. And if you don't face it, God can't break it. God won't break what you won't face. Come on, I'm preaching to you this morning. You say, I don't know. I think I can avoid it and God will fix it. No, no, no. You got to face it head on. So many stories in the Bible revolve around just the spirit of fear and the spirit of anxiety that caused men and women to not face the things that God had called them to face. And as long as they avoided facing it, as long as they kept their eyes away from it, didn't think about it, didn't tackle it head on, they never did see the victory. It was only when they began to face the giants, like David facing Goliath. Goliath didn't go away until somebody faced him. All the Israelites were running, asking God to act on their behalf. It was only when a young boy walked out and said, I'll face this giant. I think about how Gideon, he was afraid, he was unqualified, he was inadequate, and, and there was enemies that were oppressing the Israelites, and Gideon didn't want to face them, and God said, Gideon, if you don't face them, they won't go away. I can't break it until you face it. And I think about how Esther had to face the king until she chose to face the thing that scared her the most, that intimidated her, she would never see the victory that was on the other side of facing it. Somebody say, face it. One of the stories in the Old Testament about facing it is in 1 Kings 19, verse 13. If you got a Bible, you could turn there. Yeah, you could make some noise this Sunday morning. And Elijah was running from the face of Jezebel. Jezebel was a woman who was controlling. She was manipulative. Ladies, just relax. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> she was intimidating all the men in the land. And she was really leading the nation through her husband, Ahab, who was giving in to the manipulation, the intimidation. 
And Elijah was a powerful prophet. Like he would speak a word and the rain would stop. He would speak a word and the rain would start again. He would call fire down from heaven. Elijah was someone in the Old Testament that prayed for someone that was dead and the dead came back to life. Elijah walked with power and authority until he had to face Jezebel. And that's when he started running. And in 1 Kings 19, he had been running for a long time. He was running in fear. He was running in anxiety. He was running with shame. He was running with depression. He was starting to have suicidal thoughts. He said, my dead ancestors are better off than I am. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid for my life. I don't want to do the ministry anymore. And so we come to verse 13. And Elijah was waiting to hear a word from God. Some of you are waiting to hear a word from God. You're going to get a word from God today. Listen to what, listen to what happens. Elijah hears the whisper of God to, to come out, to draw near. And so he pulls the cloak over his face and he goes out and he stands at the mouth of a cave. Now he had been hiding in this cave for a while. And the voice of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that's my question for you today. What are you doing here? Not what are you doing here physically. What are you doing here mentally and emotionally? Where are you right now? Where is your mind? Where is your emotions? Where is your heart? Like I said earlier, so many people are struggling with anxiety. Right now, I mean, there are more people taking antidepressants, more people uh, taking medication to cope with anxiety and stress disorders and depression and this sense of fear and panic attacks. And that's where Elijah was. His mind, his heart was overwhelmed. God wasn't saying, why are you in this cave? He was saying, why are you in this cave? Why is your heart so overwhelmed? Why are you so afraid of the future? Why, why are you aging faster than you should? Talk about a face app. I mean, this guy was growing a beard and everything, and he was running from who he was. And Elijah answers God in the next verse. He says, I'll tell you why I'm here. I'll tell you why I'm depressed. I'll tell you why I'm anxious. I'll tell you why I'm afraid. I'll tell you why I'm ashamed. I'll tell you why I'm going through all of this in my mind and heart. It's because I'm passionate for you, God, and I've been doing the right things. But just because I've been doing the right things doesn't mean I'm getting the results I wanted to see. He says, the Israelites have rejected me. They've rejected your covenant. They've rejected my prophecies. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're coming to kill me too. Now, let's break this down for a moment. Elijah was basically saying, God, I've done what you've asked me to do, but I haven't seen what you told me I would see. Some of you are here this, this morning um, with this same feeling. You're saying, Paul, I've, I've been faithful, I've tithed, I've shown up to church, I've done the things I need to do, I've forgiven people that have hurt me, and yet I'm still not seeing the breakthrough, I'm still experiencing pain, I'm still walking with this addiction, this problem, I'm still dealing with things that are beyond my control, I've done what I needed to do, but I'm not seeing what I wanted to see. And then Elijah says, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, which is false, there was actually hundreds, if not thousands more, men and women of God that were waiting on a move of God, and they were prepared for a move of God. But because Elijah was so depressed, he was so inside his own mind, he could not see beyond his own problems. When you're dealing with anxiety and depression and shame, you don't see what everyone else is going through. You think you're the only one that's battling that problem. We're the only ones who can't get pregnant in this church. I'm the only guy that's not married here. I've been single. I've been faithful. I haven't messed around. I've been doing the right things. Just, just for a second, let me tell the singles, you're not the only one. There's a bunch of other singles that are single too. You should meet each other and get married. <laughs> Turn to someone and say, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. But Elijah thought he was the only one. 
I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's feeling depressed. I'm the only one who's feeling discouraged. I'm the only one who's going through these battles of shame and guilt and sadness and fear and anxiety. And I love what God says to Elijah's reasons of anxiety and shame and depression. God speaks to him in verse 15 and he says, go back, go back, go back. In other words, go face the thing that you're running from. There's this book we read to our kids and, and, and it talks about how um, these kids are trying to get somewhere and it says they can't go around it, they can't go over it, you gotta go through it. And this is what God was telling Elijah, you can't run from Jezebel. You run from this, you'll be running the rest of your life. You avoid this addiction, it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. You avoid this debt that you don't even wanna look at and now that I mention it, you're like, I need to take a bathroom break because I don't want to face that right now. He's talking about debt. And if you keep avoiding it, you keep running from it, God's saying it's time to face it. And I'll give you the grace to face it. And if you face it, I'll be the one who breaks it. But you've got to face it with faith. Come on, I'm preaching to someone today who's been avoiding some things and God's saying it's time to face it. It's time to face it. What's holding you back? What's causing you not to face it? I think the first thing is fear. What caused Elijah to run was fear. Fear is a negative, stressful emotion caused by believing something is dangerous, painful, or a threat. This is the fight or flight syndrome, right? When you're confronted with something that, that is bigger than you, that's intimidating, you either face it head on or you avoid it. You run from it. Fear is most people's coping mechanism when they're handling things that just seem too big, too impossible for them to overcome. This is where Elijah was at. This fear was causing him to run from something that he should have been facing. He had the power to face this. Maybe fear's messing with you. And then it leads to a second level, which is anxiety. This is a deeper level of fear. This is an intense, excessive, persistent worry about everyday situations. So many millennials are facing this right now, this anxiety. I'm just anxious. I'm just, Paul, I don't even know how to be peaceful. I can't sleep at night. I gotta take pills just to get sleep. I gotta take pills just to be okay. I can't even sit in a meeting and I, I, I'm distracted and I'm anxious and my, my heart starts beating faster and I, I just feel like I can't even breathe. I have these panic attacks and then anxiety leads to depression. Depression is the third level that causes people to avoid their issues, and it's this mood disorder. It's this feeling that things are never going to change, this sadness. I'll always be stuck here. And I want to tell you today, we're not staying in depression. We're walking out of this today. We're going to face this, and we're going to see some victory today. But I got to define it in order for us to face it. You can't face something until you recognize what it is you're facing. Like, you have to take the faith has the power to face the facts, Here's what I'm looking at right here. I'm looking at a persistent feeling of sadness. I'm looking at a persistent feeling that I don't even have an interest in ministry anymore. This is where Elijah was at. He's like, I don't even want to preach anymore. I don't want to go to another church service. I don't want to see another miracle. He said, my dead ancestors are better off than I am. Lord, take me now. And God said, nope, face it. Face it, Elijah. This is not how it ends. Stop running from the thing that I've called you to face. If you will face it, I will break it. If you will face the thing that you're afraid of, I'll give you the power. Dave Ramsey talks about facing your debt. Instead of trying to face multiple things at the same time, facing that one thing and watch the snowball effect. If you'll get the confidence to say, my God is bigger than the thing that's staring me down, I'm going to face it. 
Psychologists have talked about reasons why people avoid their issues, reasons why people avoid certain things or certain people. And they said it really does start with this feeling of fear from a situation that happens early in their life. As infants, we learn to respond to the things that hurt us. And so they gave an example about this girl who went on an elevator and she got stuck for 30 minutes and it was really scary, freaked her out. And she said, I'm never getting on that elevator again. It was in a specific building. I'm never going on that elevator again. So she avoided it at all costs. She made sure to just take the stairs every time she was in that building. Well, the longer you avoid something, psychologists say the longer you avoid it, the bigger it gets and the more general it becomes. And it becomes more novel in your mind. So now she stopped going to that building because it wasn't just the elevator, it was the building. The longer you avoid something, the bigger it gets. Then she stopped going on any elevator in any building. You say, well, Paul, it's an elevator. Okay, let's take it to the example of men. Maybe you were hurt by a guy when you were younger and maybe that guy was mean and he was cruel and he broke your heart. And you get a little bit older and you go, man, I am never talking to that guy again. I am never dealing with what he did to me. I'm never even gonna face it. I don't even wanna talk about it. I don't wanna go there. Now you start avoiding other guys that look like him, sound like him. And now it's not just guys, it's anything. It's, it's, it's men, it's anything that scares you, anything that's connected to that. So many people have been hurt by a ministry, hurt by a pastor. I'm not trusting any pastors now. And when the more you avoid something, the bigger it gets, the more general it becomes, and then you start building up walls to protect yourself from it. Now this leads to the fourth level that causes us to avoid things, and that's shame. Shame. I'm ashamed that I don't have the confidence to face this. I'm ashamed. I feel humiliated by my debt, and I don't want anyone to know about how much debt I have. I'm ashamed. I'm humiliated by what I'm walking through. I'm embarrassed, and I'm so conscious of what I've done or what someone else has done. Maybe you've been dragged into something you have to face that's not even your fault. Maybe it's someone else that's brought you to this place. And you're like, Paul, I didn't even cause this thing, and yet here I am having to face it. And so what happens is we can build up these walls that produce false security, false safety. And you think you're good and you go, like Elijah, I'm just gonna stay right here. And yet here's, here's the word of the Lord. It's time to go back and face it. Now this summer, I took my kids to go see the movie Lion King. Anybody see Lion King? And so there's this moment where Simba has his encounter with Nala and Nala is like his childhood friend and they haven't seen, any, seen each other in a long time. They sing this song, can you feel the love tonight, right? And then after that song, she's like, you gotta go back. He's like, no, I'm good, I don't wanna go back. She's like, no, you gotta go back. You've got to face what you left because you have a position of authority that's waiting for you and you can't walk in that position of authority avoiding the problems that you ran from. You can't walk in the position of confidence if you keep running from the things that scare you. See, as believers, God says that the righteous are bold as lions. Come on, you don't think I'm talking about Lion King for no reason. You and I are called to be bold as a lion, but how can we be bold as a lion if we keep avoiding the things that scare us? So I've got to face it. Somebody say, face it. Face it. And Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, he was someone who had to face a lot of things. In fact, one time he was facing this thorn in his flesh that felt overwhelming, and he prayed. He said, God, get rid of this thing. It's hurting. I feel like I'm not going to make it. This thing is so painful. I don't want to face the pain any longer. Please just remove the pain. And watch what God says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, I'm going to give you the grace 
to face the pain that seems unbearable. And if you will face it with my grace, you'll have the power to break through it and finish strong in the season that I've called you to finish in. In Psalms chapter three, David was praying and verse two, he said, everyone around me is saying God won't show up. Everyone around me is saying God will not deliver me. But I love what he says in verse three, but you, God, I'm thankful for the but gods in the moments where I gotta face things that people think is too big for me to face. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You're the glory and the one who lifts my head. Some of y'all need a facelift today. Get your face lifted back up on God today. Some of y'all need a biblical Botox. Y'all need God to do something fresh on your face. Some of us walked into church like we're going to God's funeral. You know? And we got to get our joy back. We got to get our faith back. We got to get our hope back. We got to face it, not from a place of defeat, not from a place of anxiety, not from a place of stress, but from a place of faith. So I want to talk to you about five ways to face it, five ways to face the thing you're going through right now. Number one, you got to face it with focus. You got to face it with focus. In Nehemiah chapter six, there's a story about this guy that God called to go and rebuild Israel. Israel was in shambles. It was ruined um, and the walls had fallen down. And so Nehemiah has this mission on his heart. I'm going to go and rebuild Israel and I'm going to restore that which has fallen apart. And while he's working on it, these people try to come against him and they say, you have no business working here. You don't belong here. You're an outsider. You're not supposed to be helping these people. Just leave it the way it is. There's always someone who wants to talk you out of the battle that God's called you to face. There's always someone who wants to keep you in a place of dysfunction. This is how you are. Your daddy was like this. This is how you're always, the enemy loves to whisper these little lies to steal your focus from facing the thing God's called you to face. And so I love what Nehemiah says in verse three of chapter six. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should my work stop while I leave to go down and talk to you? And they kept on coming day after day and he kept sending the same message. I am focused on this wall. Animal trainers who work with lions, they know this. The biggest and greatest tool that they will take into the cage with the lion is a stool. Just ask any of your animal trainer lion friends out there. <laughs> Y'all are like, I, I don't have any friends that train lions. Just make some friends that train lions. Ask them this. The, the, the most important tool they will take in the cage is a stool. And they will face the stool this way towards the lion. And, and, and here's why. Because the lion is powerful as long as he's able to focus on one object. His power comes from his focus. So... The trainer will stick the stool out with all four legs and the lion tries to focus on this leg, this leg, this leg, and this leg. And while he's trying to focus, the trainer's doing stuff like this and the lion's eyes are getting crazy and he can't do it and he's cross-eyed and it actually paralyzes the lion. It zaps him of his strength. See, God's called you to face some things that need your full focus. And what the enemy will do is he'll come at you and he'll be like, hey, look at this person's problem. Let's gossip about his problem. Do you hear about his issue? It's easy for me to miss my thing when I'm focused on someone else's problem. I, I can avoid my issues when I'm focused on other people's issues. And, and then the enemy will be like, you need to talk back to that person who was tweeting at you. You need to fight every battle on social media. Just try to prove yourself to everybody. So now I'm fighting these sideward battles. David could not have fought Goliath 
if he was focused on fighting his brothers who said, you're a cocky, arrogant 16-year-old boy that doesn't belong on this field. You know what David said? Talk to the hand. I'm focused on Goliath. I can't fight with this, this drama over here. I've got enough battles right here that I got to focus on. Some of you are wasting your energy on sideward battles. I can't face it unless I focus on what really matters. Stop focusing on everyone else's drama. Get focused on your drama. You got enough drama you got to fix on your own. You got to focus on that thing. God's called some of you to write a book. God's called some of you to start school again. God's called you to focus this year. Get work done. God's called you to focus on your marriage. Get it healed again. God's called you to focus on your health and get back in shape and change your diet. But if the enemy can get that stool out and distract you, this is why Proverbs says, don't look to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes straight ahead. This is why Luke 9 verse 51 says, Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He was steadfast. His face was right on the place he needed to go. So his disciples were like, you shouldn't die. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. Jesus said, stop it. I'm focused. Flint is a rock. It's immovable. It's unshakable. You can punch it. It's going to hurt your fist. You cannot move flint. Jesus' face was focused on Calvary. He was going to the cross for you and for me, and nothing else was going to distract him from his mission. This is what you and I need. Charles Spurgeon said, let the face that's set like flint get on the inside of you so that our faces will be set like flint for the mission of the kingdom of God. We got to stop wasting our time. Jesus is coming back. Face it, my friends. You got to work on you. You got to get ready. You got to get pure. You got to get set. God's coming back. No time to be wasting ourselves in frivolous little battles that don't really matter. <laughs> okay. Number two, face it with the fear of the Lord. Face it with the fear of the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Hebrew boys that were stuck in a, in a time where the Israelites were slaves to the Persian Medes Empire. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the king. He was the greatest leader in that time, greatest man on earth with the most power. And he set up a gold image. And he said, when the music plays, everyone must bow down to the gold image. So that's what happened. The music started playing. People bowed down. They bowed down to the gold image that was set up for all of them to bow down to, except for three Hebrew boys. They stood out like a sore thumb. They stood there, and they just faced the king. And everyone was going, what are you doing? You're supposed to bow down. Everyone else was fearful of the king. They were submitted to the king. They were under the rule of the king. But these three guys, their submission was to a higher king. Their fear was for a greater king. So King Nebuchadnezzar brought them and he said, why won't you bow down? They said, because we only bow to the king of kings. We only bow to the Lord of lords. And we fear God so much that it set us free from the fear of you. So you can do what you want. Because the Bible says, don't be afraid of the man who could take your life. Be afraid of that which defects your soul. So my fear, and being the, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. I'm not scared of God. I'm not going into church like, oh God, I'm so scared of you. You're gonna hurt me if I come into church. No, 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 the fear of the Lord is a reverence for God. It's saying, I care more about what God thinks than what you think. My obedience is first to the Lord before it is to any other leader on this. My example comes from Christ, not from a governmental leader here on this earth. So I'm following Jesus. And if I'll come under, James chapter four, verse seven says, submit yourself to the Lord. So imagine this is God. When I come under God's authority, when I let God get over me, when I let God be the Lord of my life, when I care more about pleasing God than I do about pleasing you, then I'm able to sit on top of 
the things that are coming against me. You can't get over what God wants to put under you until you come under who God wants to be over you. When I'm under God, I'm able to face the things that are trying to come over me. And I have the victory. If I'll face those things with the fear of the Lord, whatever you're facing right now, it needs the fear of God. I'll tell you that right now. It needs a reverence for God. And if you'll put God in the center of that situation, at the center of that thing and say, God, I'm trusting in you and I'm coming under your authority and I'm gonna follow your word and I believe you're gonna get me through this legal battle. I believe you're gonna get me through school. I believe you're gonna heal my marriage. I believe you're gonna heal the things that look impossible, but I can't do it if I'm under the fear of man or if I'm under the fear of my own selfish desires. See, something's gonna govern you. Something's gonna govern you. It's either gonna be what people think about you or it's gonna be what your flesh wants. All of us are governed by something. And if you come to church and the, the word of God's being preached and worship's happening, you're like, oh, I just want to go home and watch Netflix. You know, I just want to go to a movie. I just want to watch football. Something is governing your time. Something is governing your focus. Something is governing your emotions. Something is governing your decisions. How about you bring it back under the fear of the Lord and watch what he'll do with the thing that you're facing that seems impossible to face. I'm telling you, when you put God first with a focus, anything you face, God will give you the victory. Come on, somebody. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. He says, it matters very little to me what you think of me, even less where I rank in popular opinion. <laughs> Paul was saying, listen, it doesn't really matter what you think. I don't even rank myself, he said. Comparison in these matters is pointless. I'm not aware of anything that would disqualify me from being a good guide for you, but that doesn't mean much. The master is the one who makes the judgment. In other words, it's God's opinion that really matters. So don't get ahead of the master. Don't jump to conclusions with your own judgments before all the evidence is in. For when God comes, he will bring out in the open and place in evidence all kinds of things that we never dreamed of. Hidden motives, purposes, and prayers. Only then will anyone of us get to hear, well done from God. Come on, somebody. Face it with the fear of the Lord. Number three, and I want the keys to come out. Face it with godly friends and family. You and I, we were never meant to face our battles all by ourselves. I was never meant to face my situations in isolation. When I'm facing it all by myself, all by myself. <laughs> this is where Elijah was at, he was isolated. And when you're all by yourself, you think you're the only one dealing with this. You think you're the only one facing the embarrassment and the shame of what's going on in your house. My kids are the only ones that are dealing with this. My marriage is the only thing that's going through this. I'm the only businessman that stresses about this. I'm the only pastor that deals with this. You know, one of the greatest blessings God has given me as a pastor is just good friends in this church and good friends that are pastors at other places to be able to connect and say, hey, me too. Yeah, me too, yeah. And when we're facing it together, it's a lot easier to get through those things. But when I'm facing rejection by myself, I'm isolated. And isolation is a setup for destruction. When David was faced with King Saul, his father-in-law, with spears being thrown at him, it was easy for David to face Goliath. Facing Goliath was easy for David. He walked out on that field. He was like, I can face you. But facing his own family member, that was tough. Because this was someone he was counting on to be there for him. His father-in-law was supposed to help him. His own dad forgot about him when Samuel came to anoint him. So he had already experienced pain from his biological father. And now he's experiencing rejection and pain from his 
father-in-law. And, uh, and here is where he's running, he's running. I can face someone I don't know, but when I have to face someone I do know that betrays me, it's a lot harder. I need someone next to me to walk with me. So David got Jonathan, but not just Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 22, verse one, it says, David was running by himself and he went and hid in a cave and people found out about it and they came beside him, his brothers and his father's household. And they said, we heard about what you're walking through and we're not talking about you, we're gonna walk with you. We're not rejecting you, we're coming right beside you and accepting you and we're gonna walk through this together. We're gonna face this together. And all those who were in distress or in debt and discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. Somebody say, don't face it alone. alone. You gotta face it with friends. I remember hearing this story about Jesse Owens, the first African-American to compete in the Olympics. And it was in Berlin, Germany in the late 1930s when Adolf Hitler was leading in Germany with Nazi and, and, and all kinds of the crazy racism that was spewing during that time from Hitler towards Jews, towards anyone that wasn't like him. And um, Jesse Owens comes out on the field in Berlin, Germany, and Adolf Hitler is just ticked. He's so angry that he sees this man on his field. I mean, he's just so much racism and prejudice, and something spectacular happened. I wish I was there to see Hitler's face, because Luz Long, who was a German, walks over to Jesse Owens and puts his arm around Jesse, an American, African-American, and starts encouraging him and saying, I'll be your friend today. You've got a friend in me and I'm gonna help you win this competition. He helped the one who was competing against him to beat him. Who does that? What? That's like heaven on earth in our friendships. And Hitler was mortified. People say that Hitler was so mad he didn't even wanna look at the field that this German man who was one of his countrymen was doing this. And the story goes on that Jesse and Luz were lifelong friends. They kept in touch. They came together with their families, introduced their kids to each other, got together later on in life, continued communication and friendship. We need the kind of people that are gonna walk beside us when no one else wants to stand with us. We need to be the kind of church that walks beside our brothers and sisters when no one wants to walk beside them. I remember six years ago, my brother and I, we were walking together during a mission trip and we had just both kind of been walking through something something. And so we just started praying for each other and someone snapped a picture from behind and I've held on to it because it's one of my favorite pictures. To me, it's a picture of brotherhood, a picture of friendship that my brother blocked for me in football when I was the third string quarterback and got a few minutes in the game and that I could be a part of blocking for him, that I could pray with him. You and I, we are called to face these things together. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. You're like, what is happening right now? (laughs) So lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. Come on, it's going to get cheesy in here for a second. For It won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'd understand. We all need somebody to lean on. 
All right, that's it, that's it, that's it. That was good. You guys sound really good. You know, we need more sermons about friendship, though. We got a lot of these sermons about fixing our own issues, like, I got the victory, I'm gonna get my victory, I'm gonna walk in this, and I'm gonna overcome that, and I'm gonna be blessed, and I'm gonna, you know, all this me, me, me. And it's like, we need to stop that, because it's so selfish. And we need to bring it back to the kingdom that it's not about my, it's about our victory, it's about his victory, and it's about the church coming together. And this, this summer, I took my kids to a few movies, and it seemed like all the movies were centering on friendship. It was all about friendship, and God was speaking to me so much about what it means to be a good friend. Because the thing that I'm facing, the thing that you're facing, we need somebody to get in the middle of it and face it with us, pray with us, stand with us. So a few years ago, my brother had me sing a song at an event he was at, and he's like, I want you to sing this. I was like, that's cheesy. He's like, but you are cheesy. And I was like, okay, that's true. So I decided I'm gonna sing it for you today. You've got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what your old pal said. Boy, you got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got troubles. I got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together. We'll see this through. Cause you got a friend in me. All right, give each other a big hand. Ha <laughs> ha. Y'all like, why we give each other a hand? You know, but I love, I love the words of that song that um, when the road looks rough ahead, it's hard to face a road that looks rough ahead. But when I got a friend that's gonna be with me, I can face that road. You got troubles, I got them too. That's scriptural. You're like, I don't wanna confess that. I have no troubles at all. <laughs> yeah, she's got troubles. Get down to the altar call and confess your troubles. It's like, what kind of hypocritical, self-righteous, pious spirit is that? Like Paul said in Galatians, carry each other's burdens. Romans says, when, when you suffer, I suffer. When you're going through trouble, I'm with you. And when you celebrate, I celebrate. Now that's tough, because some of us are like, I can cry when they're crying, but when she gets blessed, she loses all that weight, she gets a brand new car, husband, and all this stuff, she's having kids, everything's going her way. I'm not celebrating with her. We gotta be able to face the good times and the tough times with each other, the highs and the lows. Like today's sermon is not just about facing difficulty, it's also about facing exciting new seasons. And it's sad when you gotta face an exciting new season with friends who don't wanna celebrate the exciting new season with you. Be the kind of friend that says, I'm gonna face the good, the bad, and the ugly with you, the highs and the lows. You got a, you got a friend in me. So if you got something to celebrate, I'm gonna celebrate with you. You're like, that's gonna be painful, Paul. Face it, face it. If you'll face that jealousy, God will give you victory. God will give you freedom. God will start blessing you when you start celebrating other people's blessings. <laughs> All right, number four, face it with forgiveness. Face it with forgiveness. Joseph had to face the brothers that betrayed him. Joseph had no problem facing Potiphar. Even when Potiphar's wife said that he had done terrible things, Joseph could look Potiphar right in the face in the middle of that pain. Joseph had no problem facing Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh was the greatest leader of his time and Joseph looked him right in the face and said, I'm gonna interpret your dream. Things aren't gonna be good unless you use my advice here. And Joseph was confident to face him. But when his brother showed up, all the memories came back. Joseph was like, hold on, you guys were the ones that threw me in a pit. Dan and Reuben, you were all there. You guys, you told my dad I was dead. And then you made money off me. You pulled me out of the pit, not to keep me alive, but to sell me as a slave in Egypt. The Bible says that Joseph hid his face when he saw his brother Benjamin. He was overwhelmed with grief. Sometimes it's hard to face those who are closest to you. Sometimes it's hard to face those things that hurt you the most. And so, so we avoid it at all costs. We avoid talking about it. We avoid thinking about it. Don't even want to look at that person. Don't want to be in the same room with that person. I'm good. I'm healthy. <laughs> what if they're your next door neighbor in heaven? And God's like, now you really got to face them. And you're like, God, how did they get in here? And St. Peter's like, how did you get in here? You know all the trash you did, all the mercy you needed. And this is why Jesus calls us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from all. And we want to pray that prayer, but we want to kind of just get quiet during that moment where it says, as we forgive those who've hurt us, who've indebted us. There was a uh, businessman who who was talking with me, he said, I, I'm facing something that's not my fault. I'm a co-owner with three others that dropped the ball on some things and it was really their fault, but I'm the one that's having to pay for it. And there's lawsuits coming and it's, it's real painful to walk through. It's really hard not to hold on to hurt towards those that caused me to be in this mess. It's not, I'm, in a, I'm facing something that's not my fault. Have you ever had to face something that's not your fault and you're really trying to guard your heart in the midst of it? And Joseph's facing, helping his brothers, the very ones who hurt him. And God says, you gotta, you gotta see this through the lens of heaven. You gotta see this through the lens of forgiveness. You gotta face this from a place of recognizing they might've been the ones who sold you, but I'm the one who sent you ahead of them to Egypt. What they meant for harm, God turned around for good. There was a woman who got a, a knock on her door one night and it was a police officer and he said, I'm sorry to inform you, but your, your baby girl, your daughter, 16 years old, she." She got hit going to church and by a drunk driver. The drunk driver survived, but your daughter died in the crash. The mom is just overwhelmed, just collapses and shows up to the court, but doesn't even look at the driver who gets sentenced to more than 20 years in prison. And she said, I went to church, but I didn't like it. I sat through services, heard messages on forgiveness and just you know, kept moving on. But she said, I was so bitter towards this guy who stole my baby girl. Like I wanted to walk her down the aisle. I wanted to be, not walk her down, I wanted to be there for her wedding day. I wanted to be there through all the excitement, graduating high school, going to college, all of those things. And she said, I just kept holding on to anger and bitterness towards this guy. And I didn't want to face him until one day she was sitting in a service like this. And she said, God just started convicting me to go and face this guy with forgiveness. She said, I went to the prison um, years after this and I faced him and I said, I feel, she said, I feel like I'm the one who's been in prison all these years. She said, my bitterness locked me up. I built my own prison 
and I've got to get out. And the only way out is to go through it with forgiveness. I've got to face you with forgiveness. Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free only to realize the prisoner was you all along. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Until you forgive your dad, your ex, the pastor who hurt you, the church that did something to you, the son, the daughter, the brother, the sister, the bullies at school, until you forgive them, you're gonna keep on staying in that avoidance mechanism, that prison of false security, false safety. So when she forgave him, she said, I'm gonna adopt you as my son. Because he, he said, I have no connection with my parents. She said, I'm gonna adopt you as my spiritual son. And that's what she did. She started visiting him every week. She said, I need a kid in my life because my kid's gone and I need someone to be there. I wanna be a mom to someone. And they built a friendship. And she went to the judge and she asked the judge to lessen his sentence. She got him out halfway through his sentence. Today, they travel together and they preach and speak together on the power of forgiveness. Uh, it's a powerful story. Matthew West, a Christian artist, went on to write a song all about it called Forgiveness. But you gotta face it with forgiveness. Joseph finally looked his brothers in the eyes with tears in his eyes and he said, I am Joseph. I forgive you. And he hugged each of them. Number five, final point here, face it with faith. Whatever you're walking through, you have a choice. You can face it with fear or you can face it with faith. But I tell you today, if you face it with faith, you'll have a lot more strength to see the victory happen. You won't make it unless you face it. And once you face it, God has the power to break it when you face it with faith. Proverbs 31 says she laughs at the fears of the future. This, this woman of God, Proverbs 31, is the passage all about the woman who fears the Lord. And it says she's clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Ha, ha! She's got her laugh. She's got her laugh. Where does her laugh come from? When you fear the Lord, you start taking on the things of God. She got her laugh from her dad. Laugh like your father. You say, what are you talking about? Psalms says that God, look at this, Psalms 2, verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. God's laughing at your problems. You're like, that's so mean. No, he's laughing because you're making them so big. You're making a huge deal. You're saying, there's no way I'm going to get through this. There's no way I'm going to have hope on the other side of this. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And you're, you're, you're blowing something up. And you're like, I'm so afraid. I'm so, we're not going to have enough money. We're going to die here. And the sickness is going to take me. And God's going, come on, son. You're going to get through this. Come on, daughter. Stop being so overwhelmed with so much discouragement. I am not the God of depression. I'm the God of victory. I'm not the God of defeat. I'm not the God of death. I'm the God of life and resurrection power. This is not the end, my friends. But until you face it, you won't make it. And you won't have the power to break it until you look at head on. The one in heaven is laughing. Get your laugh back. Start laughing like your dad again. Get it back inside you. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through this. This next season, I'm going to finish that book. I'm going to finish this dream. I'm going to get through this situation. It's painful. It's not easy. But I got God's friends with me. I got God's family with me. I'm not all by myself. I'm focused on this. I got the fear of the Lord. I got my faith in God. Abraham faced the facts. Romans 4.19 says he faced the facts without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact. Faith has the power to face the facts. 
It's not avoiding the facts. It's not denying the facts. I'm facing it. The doctor said there's cancer. I'm facing it. The counselor said this is in. This is how it ends. I'm facing it. She said this. I'm facing it. They said that. I'm facing it. I feel like this. However, and he looks at his body and he looks at his wife's body. He's like, this is not looking good. I'm 100 years old. The face app is real. I'm exactly what I thought I was going to look like. It is what it is. It was what it was. We're not going to have kids. We tried. Our friends had kids. We didn't. This is, this is it. But Abraham kept his faith in God. He says, however, God said we would have kids. So I'm holding on to that faith right there. I'm looking the facts right in the face, but I'm not wavering in my unbelief. He says it did not waver in his unbelief regarding the promises of God. Don't waver. God's promises are yes and amen. He's not just given promises to pastors or preachers or the perfect people in the church. He's given promises to the back row and the front row and the middle row and section B and section C and section A. The promises of God are for you. And he did not waver. He was strengthened in his faith. In the middle of what he was facing, he gave glory to God. In the middle of Paul and Silas's prison moment, they started worshiping God. In the middle of a shipwreck, in the middle of a storm, Paul starts worshiping God. Start giving glory to God. Face it with a smile. Face it with a song of praise. Face it with a shout of victory. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And what happened? God blessed Abraham and Sarah with Isaac. And through Isaac, Jacob. And through Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Come on, stand to your feet today. God has so much more, but you got to face it. Turn to someone next to you and say, face it. Face it, face it, face it.